This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. The suds of the washing machine wake are pointing back to Guernsey and ahead of us across three miles of blue open water and it has to be said today fairly choppy water lies our destination Herm. It's about a mile long, half a mile wide so a a pocket handkerchief of green under a a blue sky. It sounds like the perfect idyll, doesn't it? But Annette Henry, tour guide, and by another reading, it could sound quite oppressive. There are 58 people on the island, but they all work for the same company, and they all live in company houses. That's Orwellian almost, isn't it? It's an absolute idyllic place to live, I think, and that's why so many people take up the opportunity to live on the island, work on the island, and many of them choose to stay for many, many years, taking in the idyllic lifestyle. The setup, though, basically is that a company leases the island and then it controls the, uh, the concessions, the businesses there, and it owns the homes there. So you, your day and night, work and pleasure company man or woman through and through. Is that the way it works? Yes, it was after the Second World War that um, Guernsey actually purchased the island of Herm from the Crown and then they were seeking suitable tenants to run the island for them. And so every few years the tenancy agreement comes up. It's just recently been um, released to a couple, Mr and Mrs Singer, and it is up to them to make the island work. On, On a tiny place with only 58 people, I can imagine there's a risk that you might live in each other's pockets and everybody knows what everybody else is up to. I'm not sure I could cope with that. (laughs) Well, when I was a child, I used to stay on the island all summer. This was my holiday destination, if you like. And at the time, there were very little facilities here, so you would actually have to bring practically all your provisions for a few weeks in large tea chests and bring them across so that you could camp and you would live out of tins and you would... uh, Know, put your jug in the dairy and the, the cows that were milked on the island would provide you with unpasteurised milk. And that's how it was. Then it, it changed slightly and people would be able to put in their orders for food. And so whoever was doing the sort of the run to go to the supermarket in Guernsey would actually be able to see exactly what you were ordering and how many bars of chocolate you had for that week <laughs> and whether you were buying mince meat or fillet steak. So, you know, in that sense, it wasn't very private. But now, of course, you have the option of getting off the island several times a day. We are... Ten minutes out of St Peterport, ten minutes to go, I guess, so we're equidistant between the two places. Uh, describe the scene ahead of us, if you would, uh, Annette. Sandy beaches uh, catch my eye. If you look to the bow of the ship, you'll see that Herm is shaped a little like Guernsey in that you have very high south coast cliffs rising just short of 300 feet. So you've got the beauty of, of the cliffs and the fauna and flora of that part of the island. And then, as you can see... It's coming down to the lower-lying north where you've got the sandy plains, you've got the open common and you've got the most beautiful white sandy beaches. And then when the tide recedes, the island doubles in size to about uh, 1,000 acres. So it's actually incredible. Actually, it looks like um, one of those stone knights lying down on a stone slab in in a church or a cathedral, the head at one end, the high bit that you've described, the cliffs... And then there's that little lump in the middle, his tummy, and then going down to his feet at the far end, a a recumbent man. So, coming past a stream of people coming off the island and walking up 
some concrete steps with their treads painted white for safety and through a stone archway onto the island proper. Hello, Hi, Richard Urich. Very nice to see you. And Hi you there. too. Welcome Hi. to home. Thank you very much. We've come ashore at Rosaire Landing. I know that, not because I'm clever, but because there's a red and white sign on the uh, rocks just through the archway and up the steps from where the boat dropped us off. And the first thing that you notice is pausing for effect, the silence. There are no cars. There isn't the sound of cars. There isn't the sight of cars. Jonathan Watson, hospitality manager, how do you manage? It's really straightforward. We just walk. The whole guiding principle of Herm Island really is about beauty, peace and tranquillity. And the last thing that we want are electric vehicles or petrol vehicles to be blazing through that silence. We do have one or two tractors and quad bikes and that's to move sort of items around the island, deliveries and that sort of thing, to get luggage to and from the accommodation that we offer on the island. But other than that, no, people just walk. path winds its way slowly anti-clockwise up the hill and a, a herring gull just flies over the path ahead of us a rogue that's broken away from the, the mob that are spiralling like the world's best glider pilots just uh, on the rocky outcrop uh, behind us now Annette. They're actually circling around the largest quarry because um, the islands are well known for its incredible metamorphic rock that was quarried here on Herm during the latter part of the 18th, early 19th century, where there were anything up to 400 quarrymen living and working, extracting the stone, and at any one time being able to take out 600 tonnes of the prized granite in order to take on shallow draft barges to London to build, amongst other things, the East and West India docks, Carlton House Terrace, and even the steps of St Paul's Cathedral. So, Jonathan, this is the harbour, is it? This is Herm's Harbour, yes. It's probably worth pointing out, just at low tide, the small islet that you see here, it's just been covered by the sea. Up until about mid-tide, you can actually walk out to this small islet here, which is called Hermetier. Just beyond that, we have our own oyster beds, and they are some of the best oysters in the world. For some reason, this place and a place in New Zealand offer two of the best places to bring on juveniles into fully grown oysters. OK, come on into the harbour office here. Thank you. Thanks. Hello. Richard, this is Andrew Bailey, our... Uh, Hello, Andrew. Pleased to meet you. Finance director. Hi. Andrew, um, finance director conjures up the images of grey suits and pinstripes and sharky wipe-off black shoes. <laughs> Sorry, not... You're wearing, uh, you're wearing trainers with no socks, or hardly any socks at all. You're wearing uh, shorts that come down just to your knee, very fashionable, and a, and a weird fish top. That's not the kind of uniform of a finance director. Island life must be very different to, uh, to any other kind of life, clearly. Um, it is. I haven't worn a suit for 16 years to work, <laughs> so it's that good. Yes, so I don't wear suits at all. It's shorts and T-shirts in the summer, and I drive a quad bike. So, uh, yeah, different life. And, Leslie, let me bring you in here as well. What of life for both of you before you came to home? Was there a conventional life where finance directors did wear suits and ties all those years ago? Oh, yes. I used to wave him off in the morning in his suit and, well, half seven, eight o'clock in the morning and he wouldn't be home till six, half six in the evening. 
And then suddenly we moved here and he was coming home for lunch and the children would see him halfway through the day and in between as well. So it was quite a change when we came here. Andrew, Leslie, when you first came, what was the sort of the oddest difference? I, I remember when we first came here suddenly not having to do the school run. The, I mean, our eldest son was only five and a half, but he could take himself to school. He could uh, be at home putting his shoes on when the door school bell rang and he still wouldn't be late for school. Uh, and so um, primary schooling here and then for secondary schooling over to Guernsey. Yes, yes. Ours, uh, at the age of nine, they started the weekly boarding, going on a Monday morning coming back on a Friday afternoon. So that was tough, tough at first, tough for them and tough for us. But they adapted, and our youngest son, who was in a pram when we moved here, he's now in his last year of schooling on Guernsey. Andrew, where's he gone? He's pacing up ahead of us. Not just finance director, but people here very often have a couple of jobs, a summer job, a a winter job. Uh, What are your... Well, we all have to be prepared to do anything that needs doing, basically. If uh, in the morning we'll all generally help take the cargo on and off the, the boat when it comes across. And when we first came, we used to take milk churns on and off the boat as well from the, the dairy herd here. My other jobs, I suppose, are first aider and special constable. Oh, right. So I do both there of those. lots of crime here? Do you have to... There's not lots of crime, no, but we have a uniform and all the equipment and we go training with the, the regular officers. Yeah. And we all put our uniform on and patrol around the island just... It looks good for the public. You know, they realise that there are well, there is law and order over here, so you can't do as you wish. I was thinking on the way over that the fact that there are only 58 people living here means that everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Doesn't that drive you mad? You couldn't have any secrets here, could you? I'm not suggesting, Leslie, Andrew, that you have. But, you know, I'm not sure this would be my kind of place. You know, sometimes people generally know what you're doing before you do it yourself, actually. <laughs> it's that sort of place. But, but isn't that, seriously, though, isn't, isn't that quite of... Uh, doesn't that get tiring? Aren't there times where you just think, oh, my God, I just wish I could do something and no-one know about it and... Yes. Um, yes. You learn that that's all part of living here, and when it does bother you, that's when you shouldn't be here anymore. I think when it does start to niggle you. And are people, do people get stir crazy ever then, and 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 realise that it is time for them to go? Yeah, I think they do. I had a few people who they just don't, they just can't take it anymore. They came here for one reason, whatever it happened to be, and then they decide things have changed and it's not for them any longer. And they'll go back to the UK or further afield. We're going underneath a stone arch and past a, a vegetable patch some raised beds there and this is Forge Cottage, this is home yes. Andrew. Yeah. this is where we live Yeah, where we've lived for over 16 years now with our children well I'll say goodbye to you here yes, yeah, so thank you for coming well thank you for showing yeah. me around so suddenly the view has, has opened up Jonathan Watson hospitality manager we're here. We're here on the east coast. We certainly are. It just seems to be a lot calmer on this side of the island. And just as we walk around this path here, you can see the beauty of Belvoir Bay there with the water coming up. It's quite close to high tide at the moment, so it's come up a long way. Let's just go down and put our toes on the sand. What, what of your journey uh, here? Um, were you coming to Herm as a, as a young man, or did you come here for the job, Jonathan? Now, we came for a change of lifestyle, very much so. I was running a commercial hotel in Leeds, 
we had at that stage a two-year-old and a five-year-old. I was working six and a half days a week and one day my wife actually told me I hadn't seen my children for a week although I'd been you know coming home every night so it was time to to rethink uh, as a family. I'd worked every Christmas day for the previous 17 years coming to work here and we finally ended up here and I had my first Christmas day off for many many years and enjoyed it very much. So that was a huge sort of uh, relief but there's not many jobs where you know, you take on the job and the island is owned by the company, the house that you live in is owned by the company. There must be some, some downsides to that part of it. There was a great concern. You're coming to work with a, a small community where your job depends on that community and how you interact with it. Your house depends on your job. So all of a sudden, it's a heck of a decision to say, yeah, I'm going to throw away the last 17 years. Not throw them away, but sort of put them to one side. Mm. Say, yes, that's the certainty that I've come from. And to come to this uncertainty, to a world where perhaps everything is owned and run by that central person or the central island, the central business that you work for. And as you say, your livelihood, uh, your home life as well, is predicated on your relationship with that person, with the company. Blimey, if my life was like that, I'd... I'd be out of a house. I'd be, I'd be living, <laughs> I'd be living rough, and I'm sure a lot of people would think the same thing. And there's a kind of a love-hate relationship, perhaps you know, not an unhealthy one between bosses and and workers in in a lot of fields. And could you afford to have that kind of relationship here? Do you know what? I think the whole process of coming here, the the whole interview process, is really very thorough, and it's aimed around the company do not want to take a family on that they think would not have a chance of fitting in. And so it's a very well-oiled machine to do that. Yes, it is a bit nerve-wracking when everything depends on it, but, you know, you learn a bit of tolerance. You learn a bit of tolerance with situations that possibly you might not have accepted in the past, but actually you've got to rub along with all of these sort of people. Perhaps they might be people that you don't choose to socialise with, but actually that's the group of people that you have got to socialise with. They're the group of people that you've got to work with. Mm-hmm. And basically, if, if you have a disagreement with them, you've got to wake up and you've got to make some kind of peace the next day. Your other job is as the vicar here? Uh, are, you, think, are you ordained? or No, I'm not. So it's, you... very, it's very much a case of leading a church service. Okay. Um, there always has been a church service here on a Sunday morning. Yeah. One week in the month... A vicar from Guernsey will come and sort of take a proper uh, Eucharist service. Yep. And I lead prayers and hymns for the other three weeks of the month. You can't come to a beach, can you, and not take your shoes and socks off. So I am going to Annette Henry, tour guide, take my shoes and socks off, if I may, and feel the sand between my toes. And what do you think, temperature-wise, water? I'm going to tell you it's absolutely lukewarm, but I'd be lying, because <laughs> um, geographically... The island is surrounded by this fast-flowing water and it is very, very chilly. You're not wrong, are you? No, that is cold. Oh, I mustn't forget my shoes, by the way. Hold on. Um, It's an unusual setup in the sense that there are owners. Have they all been benign? Or, you know, Eric the Blood Axe own it at one point and run it like a fiefdom and scare the living daylights out of the residents? It is so interesting to see how the different tenants through the centuries have helped to shape and change the island's history. After the Second World War, the island was in a complete mess. The Germans had never occupied it, but there was a lot of destruction. So historically, the tenants who came in 1949, Major Wood and his wife, helped to change the island enormously, and they really set a precedent, I think, for future generations. It's a a small microclimate of beauty 
and history intermingled together that obviously we adore. I'm going to leave you at the bottom of the stairs here, Annette. Thank you very much indeed for your help. I've it, got to put my shoes and socks back on, not in that order. Do. Socks first and then shoes. Okay. But you have a safe trip back. I and, will, and um, it's been uh, delightful being able to show you around what I consider to be my second home. So where next, Jonathan? We're going to wander down to meet up with Brett Moore, who's our head gardener. <laughs> Funnily enough, this is Brett right here. Ah, in one of the few vehicles oh, on the island. Hello, Brett. Richard Urich. Well, I'll tell you what, as you've got four wheels and I've only got two legs, uh, would you mind giving me a lift to the garden? Absolutely, no problem. <laughs> so we're just clearing a bit of space in the back of the gator here. I'm going to move those shears and I guess you'd describe this gator as a kind of mini pickup truck, really, uh, or a cross between a pickup truck and a, and a golf cart. It's very quiet. Oh, that's it. The only sound we can hear is the reversing alarm. So when did you first come here, Brett? Uh, May 2005. OK, so yeah. relatively recently. Yeah, six years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, six what of that first day, that first week, that first month? Did you uh, think, oh my God, what have I done? No, I've, I've been coming to the Channel Islands and Herm since the uh, 70s, late 70s, so okay. I knew all about the island. Yeah. And it was just something I wanted to do, it was a complete change of uh, lifestyle from it, where I'm from. There's a bit of Midland accent in there yeah, somewhere, is there? Yeah, Spa, Worcestershire, born and bred. OK, um, yeah. So, yeah, I got here first day, it was a, it was a Tuesday... 10.30 boat, got off with my suitcase and uh, <laughs> new boy. And within two hours of being on the island I was helping bury in a cow that had unfortunately passed away so uh, yeah. Island life presumably wouldn't be for everybody though would it? Oh, I mean, no, you're not, no, uh, you're no. not on your own here I've only stretched the imagination aren't you? No I'm not, I mean I'm very fortunate I've, I've met a young lady, I've got married, I've got a three year old lad now and uh, you know, what, met here? Met here oh, she right. was, yeah, So she all was... these people I've asked is there any gossip they say oh no 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 and they, <laughs> they look all embarrassed and what they're hiding, in fact, is Absolutely. all this. It's it's romance. a small, it's such a small community, eh? Come it's on, tell us the story. Then. <laughs> well, how did you meet? What's oh, her name? Uh, her name's Yolandi. Yeah, uh, she's from South Africa. We met literally the first day I was here. She was working in the hotel, uh, so the first year just enjoyed myself and then we got together when she came back the, the, the next year and then she went back to South Africa and phoned me up and said I don't want to be here and can I come back and I said yeah no problem oh, got her back and uh, yeah. and then uh, we had a, a young fella came with just a little bit too early and found out that her visa at the time then wasn't granting her to stay being pregnant she wasn't being able to work so we had to bring our, our wedding a, a few months forward so uh, we got married and now we're, we're here on the island enjoying ourselves and not looking at moving at all so great you've been the talk of the island all this <laughs> hey what did, did were your ears burning when it this was, was all happening uh, I, i'll tell you the bit when when we we actually didn't find out we were pregnant until she was almost five and a half six months pregnant mm. and then it was all hands to, i phoned up the immigration as you do and, and went through the proper channels mm. and they said no you've got three options she goes back to south africa or you, you get married, really. And uh, and so we said, right, well, we'll get married. I walked up to her on the 17th of December and uh, got down on one knee in one of the self-catering cottages. She was cleaning at the time <laughs> and said, will you marry me? Oh, you <laughs> <was> <laughs> no, I, And she yeah, said yes, obviously. No, absolutely. Well, no hesitation there? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you first got together, did you sort of get a sense that everybody knows everybody else's business? Or oh, yeah, yeah. This, is, this island, they'll always say they don't want to talk about it, but look, everybody knows each other's business, and you live here because you love the island. And uh, if you don't like it, then you don't stay, to be quite honest. It's, this island figures you out very quickly. You either achieve on this island or you don't, and you leave very quickly. So. And when those people don't, what, what happens? How does it manifest itself, the fact that 
I usually do. The islands found them out. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, it's not a bad thing, you know, and it's not for everybody. The island is not for everybody. It is, it's a very, very special, unique place to be. Mm. It is a fantastic place. But well, what know? do they do? Do they go stir crazy? Do they? Yeah, well, yeah, it can. It, it can go. It can. Cabin man, yeah, it can manifest in many different ways. You know, and drink yourself into a stupor. And, and but that is, it's. It comes down to personal preferences, really. Yeah. So it just finds you out if you don't. If it's not for you then uh, it finds you out very quickly. We're walking past Rosaire Anchorage uh, on the south end of the island and it's um, one of my favourite anchorages in the world. We've been fortunate enough to sail extensively so uh, we're just going to turn left here and go up these steps now. And before we head up these steps, uh, John Singer, uh, island owner, was this a kind of Victor Kayam moment for you? Did you see this anchorage and then say to yourself, I've got to, I've got to have this island? Uh, was it as simple as that? When I worked in London, I used to sail in the uh, Channel Islands. I came back one year and f- suddenly found that uh, the lease of the island was for sale. So it just came at the right time. We'd done our long-distance sailing and were thrilled to bits to have the opportunity to settle on an island that we'd, we've adored over the years. So you were yeah. ready to sort of drop anchor and put your feet back down on, on the solid land? Yes. My wife and I had our first date here, actually, in 1994. So it was sailing over to Herm and uh, Rosaire Anchorage and going to the hotel for dinner was our first date. <laughs> But to own an island is everybody's dream, isn't it, to an extent? Uh, has it had dreamlike qualities since then, or is it like any commercial venture, also potentially a bit of a headache for you, John? You'd have to be absolutely balmy to take this, the island on for financial reasons. I don't see ourselves as owners of the island. The owner of the island is the states of Guernsey. But we are the lessee of the island, and we're very fortunate to be able to live here full-time and enjoy the island full-time. The jetty where we came ashore just a matter of hours ago is now under uh, some turquoise-looking uh, water that's uh, roiling away in this uh, stiff breeze. Owning the lease, do you uh, feel a tremendous sense of responsibility? Does it make you feel like the lord of the manor of all that you survey? Do you run it like a a benevolent dictator or maybe you're not benevolent at all maybe you rule the place with a rod of iron I don't know but I'm just trying to get a handle on what it must be like to to be the kind of the island chief so to speak we came with a message breathe and achieve was the message I sought to put over when we first came here uh, which wasn't the island way the island was run prior to our being here but uh, we inherited an excellent team from the former tenant and uh, they all know what they're doing and I think that was the right message, breathe and achieve and that's exactly what happens. Annette was saying earlier that every leaseholder has left a a mark on the island uh, one way or the other. I wonder when your lease is up (laughs) in uh, every respect, uh, what what sort of legacy, what mark you all have wanted to have left on Um, I think Julia and I wish to be remembered as having maintained the uh, island's peace, tranquility and availability for all to enjoy. So 
Yes, we're, we're not looking to be remembered for having changed anything. We're looking to be remembered for not having changed anything at all. Well, what a difference a few hours can make. It's now the following morning and I'm heading away from her and back towards Guernsey, which you can barely see through the, the fog and the mist. It's one of those days, in fact, where it's difficult to see where the rain ends and the sea begins. It's only when you lick your lips with that sort of salty taste that you know you've been soaked by sea spray rather than by rain. I headed out to Herm thinking it would be a strange kind of place to live. 50 or 60 souls all living in company houses, all working for the same company, living on a, a patch of green just 500 acres uh, in size. But come away thinking actually it's rather nice. I think it could work. It is the kind of place that, as one of the guests said, could make or break you and if it makes you what a wonderful place to live